Welcome, everybody, to the third week of our Dream Church series, and today we're going to be talking about a future focus. I want to tell you about an interesting period in our lives, Amber and I's lives, and it was right after we got married. I mean, marriage is a big deal. It changes a lot about how you live, but uh, this particularly also changed a lot about how we lived. So we got engaged in February 2017, and the original plan was to get married after I graduated or at the end of my semester of 2018. So the year after when I was going to be finishing up Bible college and we were moving on to the next phase of our lives, seemed logical. Hey, why don't we just get married then? It'll be be a good time. However, a, a different and more appealing plan was proposed to us. So it was near the end of, uh, the 2017 fall or spring semester. And, Bible College came to us and said, hey, we have two houses right now. We're building a third student house. And if you guys get married, uh, you guys can live there for free and be the house parents. And it'll be a brand new house and you'll have it all to yourself. Well, that sounded like a really good deal to us because it would save us a lot of money on renting an apartment. We weren't sure where we were going to live after we got married because we were expecting uh, to get married after I was done with Bible College. So we didn't have any of those kinds of plans. But it sounded like a really good deal. And it just so happened that Amber had a, Amber's district down there, had a week off for school in September. So our plan really came together. They were going to be done with the house at the beginning of September. It was perfect. Then we would get married, and then we'd have her week-long break for a honeymoon, and then we'd come back, and everything would be great. It'd be perfect. So our semester ended, and summer started. I went to Arkansas. Amber uh, did a really good job planning our wedding. Um, that summer. And uh, as the summer went on, the house didn't. (laughs) The house really didn't come together like we were expecting. So it was like getting really close to September and the house was looking like mm, not quite ready by the beginning of September, but they were hopeful that maybe by the end of September or early October, the house would be done and we can move in, right? So uh, we were trying to figure out what to do. We couldn't live at the Bible college houses because uh, it was a girl and a guy house, and that'd just be kind of awkward. And Amber gave up her lease on her apartment because, you know, we thought we were going to have a house to live in. I mean, we could rent a hotel for a few weeks, but that could get really expensive. What were we going to do? So we we're, <laughs> we're trying to figure out our, all of our wedding plans and honeymoon stuff and then also trying to figure out where to live after we got married. Luckily, Dr. Joe Martin, many of you may know him, uh, he was a, a, the president of the Bible college at the time and a teacher there. And he said, hey, I, I have this camper that you guys can live in until the house gets fixed. And this is what it looked like. That's my old car right there. This is the camper. It's, uh, it's a camper. <laughs> yeah, it's from the, tw- the 1990s. It's older than I am, uh, which, you know, I'm, for a human, I'm not that old, but for a camper... That's pretty, I mean, it's getting there. Um, and, I mean, don't get me wrong. This is very generous of Dr. John. I'm very happy that he gave us this option. And we said, well, this is a really good temporary solution, you know. It's cheaper than a hotel, and it's, it's convenient. We can move whenever we need it to. So, um, come to find out, though. So, we get married, obviously. We move into the camper. And we think we're only going to be there for a few weeks. Um, it turns out that a lot can be wrong with the camper. <laughs> huh. 
especially when the person who's owned it has never actually stayed in it. So Dr. Joe had owned this camper for a couple years, but never had stayed in it. So he never tested what's actually working and what's not. So we did that for him. Turns out there's a lot that can be wrong. Uh, First of all, the water heater cannot work. And when it does work, it can be only five gallons, which means showers are short. They're not that warm. Um, It turns out water pressure coming in from the outside hookup on the site can be too high, and it causes water to leak from every single seam, water joint, and the camper, which is something we learned. Um, Also, camper fridges are not the most reliable, especially 30-year-old ones. So we did not have any perishable food for the first three weeks of our marriage, um, except for the fast food that we got. (laughs) So we dry food, canned food, that was it. Let me show you a little, some pictures here of our time. We don't have many of them, but this will help give you the, the experience here. So at the top, we have, this, we have this panoramic picture. So if you walked in the door, to the right would be this bedroom area, and then like the main living room and the bathroom is back here. So it's a panoramic shot. Imagine just looking from the right to the left this way. Um, there I am on our uh, little fold-down table trying to do some work. Um, it was tight, okay? I mean, it was livable, but... It, it was tight. Um, here's Amber and I doing some kind of pesto bread thing. I'm not sure what we were doing. We were trying to make something that was fun. Here's our, our, our camper cat. Uh, kind of just lived in the camper facility. We laid some food out for it sometimes, adopted it. We really wanted to let it in the camper, but we decided it was, that's against our better judgment to let the cat in. So he just stayed outside. We'd see him for a day or two, and then we wouldn't see him, and then he'd come back. Um, and this is me just standing in the camper. There's the small bathroom back there. Um, campers are not sound insulated. That's all I'm saying about the bathroom. <laughs> um, so as this house is being built, as construction projects tend to go, uh, it was delayed, surprisingly, and delayed again, and then delayed and delayed. Four months went by. Um, we were in the camper for four months. <laughs> Each week we thought, though, that, that we were moving to the house. I mean, next week, they said, next week, we'll, we'll get you in next week. And the worst part was mid-December, the house was completely done. We couldn't move in. But it was like another month until they got an inspector out there to just write the okay for us to move in. That was, it taught us a lot about patience and it also taught us the value of really warm blankets. Because the, the Georgia's not that cold, but it got cold enough. <laughs> and the camper, uh, it got cold. So, one reason um, I bring this up, or the reason really I bring this up, is that how we lived in the camper, or what the camper was used for, had a lot to do with how we lived in it. So the, the camper was short-term, Right? It was not our permanent home. It wasn't what we were looking forward to. So we didn't set down roots in the camper. We didn't redecorate. We didn't uh, put a lot of money into renovations or fixing it up. We didn't make it permanent. We didn't like set up a bunch of stuff around the camper that made it like more livable and nice to be outside or whatever. We didn't do any of that because each day could be the last day in the camper. And then this future that we were looking forward to of the house, which is here it is this house that was built is really nice and we were looking forward to living in there so why would we put all this money or work into 
making this camper more suitable. I mean, we had the bare essentials. We had what we needed. So, and I think us, not Amber and I, but as Christians in general, sometimes we lose track of our focus, right? We, here's the comparison. Think about the camper like this broken and sinful age, which if you lived in the camper, it's not that hard of a comparison to make. Okay? And then think about the nice new house as, oh. Thank you. For my next trick. <laughs> That's, that was clever. It's funny. So and think about the camper as this broken age. And then think about the, the new brand new house is the kingdom of God, the next age. The, the shiny thing to look forward to. You can kind of see where we're going here, right? Because as Christians, sometimes we really like getting our camper comfortable. But we lose focus on where we're going. What's going on? What's our future? So, even though we're equipped with the right knowledge sometimes, we know that the future is coming. Sometimes we lose focus of it. And so today we're going to be talking about what does the Bible say about the future focus? What does it say about our attitudes and hearts? And what does it say about the consequences of losing that focus? So if you would, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Now, Hebrews 11 may be a really familiar passage to you guys. Maybe not. Either way, we're going to take a look at it. And Hebrews 11 starts out with perhaps some of the most recognizable verses in Scripture. While you guys are turning, I'm just going to take a sip of water. So Hebrews 11, let's read the first couple of verses together. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, so future things, the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not yet seen. For by it, meaning faith, men of old gained approval. So the, the author of Hebrews starts out by saying, hey, faith is something that you look forward to, that you're confident in even though you can't see it and you don't have it tangibly with you. That's what faith is. Faith is a future focus and believing in it. And it goes on to list a bunch of Old Testament uh, people, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Sarah. And it lists what they did, these amazing accomplishments of faith. And it's an awesome passage to read, but let's skip to verse 13. So verse 13 says, All of these died in faith. So all those people I just mentioned. All of them died in faith without receiving the promises. Hmm. It seems like a rotten deal. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, knowing that they were there, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. And he, he's going to make a point here, but these great people of faith, these, these pillars of Christianity, it's important to note that they died without receiving their promises. Right? So they were looking forward to something as... The author of Hebrews says that they were, they were looking forward. They knew that it was true. That's why they had faith. But they did not yet receive it. Let's go on. What kind of promises are we talking about here? That's what kind of clarifies in the next couple of verses. Verse 14. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had an opportunity to return. 
But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So even though they died without receiving their promises, God's not ashamed of that because God has prepared this city, this country. And I think it's pretty clear that the author of Hebrews is talking about the kingdom of God, right? What other city, what other country has God been preparing and promising to his followers? And if they were looking for a nice country to live in, the author of Hebrews said they could have just went back to where they came from, okay? They're not talking about those worldly countries. They're talking about something else. They're talking about, he's talking about the kingdom of God. And I really encourage you to go back and listen to the messages um, on the kingdom of God. We did those at the end of September, the beginning of October. You remember we did a series on the kingdom of God. And so I'm not going to dive a lot into what the kingdom of God is right now because we've already covered that and the material's there. So if you want to refresh yourself, go back uh, to those messages. You can do that on our website. You can search NKBC Sermons. I'm doing a little plug here, okay? You, can, you have those. That's important. You always have these materials that every single week they're available to you. Just a side note. So I encourage you to go back and refresh yourself. So... They were looking for this next age. That's what gave them hope. That's what created their faith. And they didn't want to go back to where they came from because they knew God had something else in store for them. And so they stepped out in faith in all kinds of ways, confident that God was planning something better for them. And that's what the picture we're starting to see here, is that our future focus determines how we live. Because they were looking forward to the future, because they had faith in it, it affected how they lived their lives. They lived lives like no one else because of the future that they had in mind. And we see that uh, the author of Hebrews makes his point even stronger by how he chooses to finish the chapter. So look at verse 37 with me here. So in the last few verses of Hebrews 11, the author is telling us that not only these faithful people that were mentioned early in the chapter, but also those much more recent faithful martyrs of the faith, those people who have died and been tortured, for the faith, are also included in these promises. So look at verse 37 with me. Then they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They were went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, talking about all the faithful people mentioned before by name, and these faithful martyrs of the faith, people willing to die for their faith, all of these having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. What? They died for it. And they didn't get it? What is going on here? Well, here's the reason why, verse 40. And this is where it all comes together. Because God had provided something better for us. So that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. I love how this chapter ends. Because it's saying the great people of faith did not receive their promises. Not because God is cruel. Not because God has changed his mind. Or because God is a liar. But it's so that all of us, 
all of those who are faithful followers of Jesus, all those who focus so intently on the future that is coming, all of us at the same time are going to receive the promise. We are going to be all resurrected at the same time when Jesus comes back to the world and we're going to walk hand in hand into paradise, into the kingdom that God has been preparing. It's going to be one giant parade of saints. It's going to be celebrating the defeat of death and sin once and for all. That is the country, the promise that we are looking forward to. That is our focus. And there's no country in the world that can promise anything even remotely close to that. Even the United States, arguably the most well-off and nice-to-live-in country in the history of the world, is still full of junk, right? It is just seeps sin and malice from every one of its leaky seams because it's in the broken world. It's like the camper. You can put a fresh coat of paint on it. You can... Get on your hands and knees and scrub the side of the camper to clean all the algae off, but it's still the broken up camper. This world is broken, and the only thing that's going to fix it is starting over, is starting fresh. So again, this world is a lot like the camper we lived in, that we lived in when we first got married, and we made it through by God's grace. (laughs) But the house that we moved into was in every way better. Not even a close comparison. And this idea of looking forward to a better thing is how the author of Hebrews closes his book. Look at what verse 13, 14 says of Hebrews. For here we do not have a lasting city. So he's saying here in this age, this city is not going to last. But we are seeking the city which is to come. Here in this age, we don't have anything worth keeping. It's not going to last. And that may make you feel sad. Maybe you really like your life. However, the city that is to come, this country that God is bringing together for us, will outshine this age. It will outshine any amenity or prize or good work that this age has. It's going to outshine it to the point where you're not even going to think about what this world was. I promise you, what God has in store for us next is worth the wait. But I recognize that waiting can be hard. And Jesus himself recognizes that not all those who look to the kingdom, who set out with the intentions of waiting, are going to make it. And that should sober us a little bit. Let's look at, let's remind ourselves what Matthew says, or what Jesus says in Matthew 25. It's the parable of the ten virgins, and we're not going to spend a ton of time on it. I just want to read it. Then the kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all these virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No. There will not be enough for us, and you too. Go instead of the dealers and buy some for yourselves. 
And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. If I had to compare this story to my story in the camper, the five virgins who got drowsy and fell asleep would be like if Amber and I made the camper our forever home, right? Knowing that one day we'd have to move out. If we got there, we're like, you know what? It might be a long time until we actually move. Let's, you know, let's build a deck around the camper. Let's dig out the, the lot next to us and put in a swimming pool. And let's, let's just take the hitch off the camper because it's taking the spot for the grill, you know? And when the time came to move, when, when the house was finally ready, we wouldn't be ready. We wouldn't be ready to move if that's what we had done. And that's what happened to the five foolish virgins who weren't ready. When the bridegroom came, they were out doing business with the world. They were out taking care of other things, trying to figure out what to do, but it was too late. Don't be late. Be ready. Keep a laser focus on the future, on the country that God is preparing for his people. And if you do that, you're going to be numbered with the great people of faith mentioned in Hebrews 11. That's pretty cool. So what do we make of the talk this morning? What do you make of it? I think here are some points that we can walk away with. Let's, let's wrap things up for this morning. Number one, do not settle for this age. Don't settle for it. The world may have some nice things in it. There are some things we can enjoy. After all, God did create it perfect in the beginning. And God still has beauty here. And I know that there are good things, but what I'm saying is don't settle for it because what the world offers you is not worth it. It's not worth the trade. And when we're faced with the decision to either work hard in this life focused on the kingdom and possibly die for our faith or have to sacrifice a bunch of other things in our lives, or we can live comfortably doing the things we like to do, it can be tempting to settle for this age. It can be tempting to just cruise through life in relative comfort. Like the five unprepared virgins, it can be tempting to let yourself just go to sleep and to lose focus. But don't do it. Don't settle for the age. Be like the great people of faith in Hebrews 11. Be like them in this way. Dream about your future. Last week, I also said that in the context of leadership. Dream about who you're going to become and what you can do. What kind of work are you going to accomplish for God's kingdom? But here, I mean it this way. I want you to be like the people of Hebrews 11, all the way through chapter 11, who over and over again saw the hope of the future, the rewards, and the promises, and kept faithful because of those. When I say dream about your future, I mean dream about it. Let it be something you look forward to, something that's exciting. And that's what I think made Abraham get through it, right? We hear a lot about Abraham in that chapter. And I think Abraham, as he was being called away from his home country and he was lugging his whole family across these unknown lands and the storms hit and the cartwheel breaks and it's the 4th of July, so all the cartwheel shops are down and they're not open. It's personal experience. Abraham made it through that, all those hardships and the unknown because of his promise, his dream of the future. 
So here's something I like to often do, and you can take this practice with you, is that when life gets tough or when we get frustrated or we get worn out, just dream for a minute. Just take a step back and just dream about the kingdom and what it's going to be like. For example, this weekend my mom's cousin died. She loved him a lot. She's going to Missouri for his funeral. And we talked. And what did we talk about? We talked about how death is the enemy. We, we know that. And, but we also talked about how it's going to be defeated. We talked about how we have this hope in this kingdom and resurrection. Just think about what difference it makes in your life if you can walk around with the dream of the future in your pocket instead of this anxiety and worry and fear about the future weighing you down. You guys have lived it. You know it. So dream about your future. Stay prudent in your love and hope of the future. Number three, focus on placing your wealth in the future. So our focus shouldn't be on making the metaphorical camper as nice as it can be, right? Sinking all of our time and effort and sprucing up something that can never really be fixed. That's not how we should be spending our time, our effort, or our energy. What we need to do is preparing for what's coming next. That's where our money is most valuable. That's where our time and energy is the most impact. As Jesus says in Matthew 6, if we store up our treasures in heaven, if we do the things that God cares about, our investment can't be destroyed. It can't be touched. And if Amber and I literally took this um, into the camper life, we would have bought a bunch of stuff for the camper. We would have redecorated. We have done all that. But we didn't. Instead, we invested in our imminent future, which was moving into this house. And we did that by buying furniture. We actually had furniture purchased, ready to move into that house the second that it was available. It was just sitting in the garage across the street. And we had people lined up to help us. And we had all these preparations made. We were ready to get our address changed over. We were looking forward to moving into this house. And so that's where we invested our money. That's where we invested all of our preparation was moving into this house. We had sheets that were still, we had brand new sheets and brand new towels. We had like all this new stuff ready to be used. And that's how we should work with the kingdom. Yeah, we need the essentials in this life. We need to live. We can enjoy some things. We had fun in the camper. It was memorable. (laughs) But that's not where we invested all of our money and time. Because we knew it wasn't our forever place. And this age isn't our forever place. It's the future kingdom, the restoration of this world. That's our future. So what do you say, church? Are you ready to make your future dreams your focus? In a dream church, I think that every moment of every day, the future reality would be on the forefronts of our minds in a dream church. It would be filling every one of our conversations to one another. It would be, it, the kingdom would make up our top priority as a church. And I think we already are on the right track. I'm not saying we don't do that now at all, but I'm saying we can do that better. Because individually, if we keep our future focus as our dream, then that's going to collectively move this group as a whole in the right direction. So let's dream this week. Let's dream about our future. Let that be our focus. Let's seek that godly country, the new city that is unlike anything this world can offer. 
This morning, please pray with me as we thank God for our future hope. God, what can we do except say thank you? Thank you for the hope that there's more beyond this broken, beat-up world. And I pray that you allow that truth to invade our minds, to let it keep us prudent, to keep us prepared for what's coming. Let that be our hearts, and let our hearts be for you. So in your son's name we pray. Amen.